Hello, hello. Molly Herford here with the Business of Fitness podcast. Another Thursday, another awesome episode with an amazing founder. Today we have Karina Hamill of Bevo, the stainless steel cycling water bottle, on to talk about how to basically create a product from scratch and honestly how to find white space in a market that is very full. I mean, it's not like you can't find water bottles for cycling. However, have you ever thought about what the bottles are made of? So we're talking all things, you know, shifting from plastic over to stainless steel in terms of both health and sustainability, uh, where that sustainability point actually comes in, uh, and really how to get a small business like this off the ground. I think Bevo is really interesting to me because I actually thought it was kind of a massive company when I first stumbled on it in my work with Bicycling Magazine. Um, They've done such a good job sort of creating buzz and hype around it in a very organic way. And I honestly thought it was an older, uh, bigger company than it actually is, which is so much to their credit. So this is such an interesting conversation for anyone who's thinking about product, um, especially physical product, because there's definitely a lot that you want to know before you get going. And what... uh, Uh, Karina and I have talked about, and also what I've talked about with a couple of other founders, is that while you can do what Kate Arsenault from Runner did and really go from being a a teacher to starting a really cool hat company, uh, a lot of the time it's actually optimal, not, not a must, but it is very helpful to have worked in some kind of product-based industry before this. So Karina actually did a lot of work with consulting and helping brands develop product. So when she was ready to create her own and had this idea, she already kind of knew what it took to start a product-based business. Uh, So all of the sourcing, the materials, all that kind of stuff was a little bit easier. And especially when it's something tricky like this, or as we're going to hear from Gloria Wang of Thousand Helmets, a helmet company, uh, it's a lot harder to create a stainless steel water bottle when none has previously existed. It's hard to create a cycling helmet that meets all of the safety standards. Uh, So it's not quite as easy as putting, you know, figuring out the right fabric for a hat or you know, even the much easier creating a cool design for a t-shirt and getting it printed on a t-shirt. So if you're interested in product and you have a great idea, I think this is a really good episode to listen to to kind of figure out what steps you might want to take in order to really get that off the ground. All right, without further ado, enjoy this chat with Karina. All right, Karina, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm so excited that we get to do this. Yeah, thanks for having me. I told my husband I was very excited to talk talk business today. I like that part of, of podcasting. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, okay, before we get into kind of your background and stuff, I know we've both kind of had a hectic couple of weeks. You've been on the road for a bit here. Uh, you're going to continue being on the road for a bit here. You have several races that you're going to be uh, promoting Bevo at. Um how the heck do you balance the like daily operations of Bevo with these yeah. events with your with your kids? Um, you know, you're with your partner who does work with you, obviously. But yep. how are you balancing like the family, the work, the like events that are also work? How do how yeah. does it work? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. So back in April, we were my husband and I run Bevo together, um, and we do have we have a two year old and a five year old, or actually a one year old and a five year old. He's almost two. Um, And so we started talking about hitting the road and it definitely was daunting. Um, It was actually a recommendation from an advisor of ours. And at first I was like, "Ah, I just don't know how we're going to do it because we do, we have to manage the business day to day as well as getting out and and talking to people. So, um, but ultimately we decided that we really like pushing ourselves and we like a good challenge and we do like getting out on the road when we were before we had kids we ran a different business together um, that was a footwear design and development agency and we were always traveling going like we were mixing work and play a lot and we always found that the more we're out the more things happen Um, and so we feel the same for Bivo when we get out and talk to people, a lot happens and we meet really cool people. Um, and so we knew that we, we should just, just hit the road. So, um, in terms of balancing like the day-to-day work, we're fortunate to have some really good staff. Um, and so they're helping lift that piece of it while we're out. Um, we have been working, um, this week 
from Montana and we're going to be like computer work. Um, and then we're going to be hitting the road on Friday to go to the last best ride up in Montana and then down into Colorado for Leadville 100, SBT Gravel, Breck Epic, Women's Cycling Summit. Um, so the next few weeks are going to be a bit bit crazy and test us. We'll have our kids in tow. Um, we also are super fortunate to have some pretty amazing, uh, two sets of amazing grandparents. And so Robbie's parents are coming with us to Colorado. And so they're going to be helping with the kids on the road as well. Nice. That was actually going to be my follow-up question is like, what do you do with a almost two-year-old and a five-year-old at these events? So, okay, yeah. here we go. Yeah, I will say, though, that our daughter, so our daughter is the five-year-old, and she loves events. She loves being at them. It's just like a good scene. She always gets, like, ice cream and meets other kids and can run around, and it's always, like, kind of an enclosed area with with grass, and so it, it's actually kind of nice for her. So she gets excited to go to events, but it's definitely, with our almost two-year-old, hard with, like, nap schedules and trying to figure out how we can both work and get stuff done. So having the grandparents will be very nice. 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 Now, how do you manage your energy from like day to day with stuff like that? Because I know, uh, you know, I think we were both out at sea otter in April and like, let Mm -hmm. me tell you, I was wrecked for like days (laughs) after it. And I was just wandering around as media, like chatting with people. I wasn't even working at booth and I was still just, it ended me and I'm an extreme introvert, but how do you, how do you do that? Especially because like these events are happening on the weekends and then you have Monday to Friday where you're kind of working all of the other things that need to happen. So you're, you're kind of not getting that two days to recover that normally one would have. Yeah. Um, I definitely think so. I'm also introverted, so that's kind but I also do really like events and talking to people. So it's kind of a weird thing, but, um, I, uh, like good question. Energy. I honestly think having kids just lets you like puts you in this place where you could never rest anyway. So going to the office is actually easier for me than being at home. And I love spending time with my kids, but they require a lot of energy. Like you can't ever sit. And so going to the office on Mondays often, I'm like, oh, this is so good. (laughs) Okay. You know what? That is actually a fantastic point of view. And as someone without kids, like I don't, I, I don't get to see that, but I do know a lot of my, my mom friends, like I always joke, they're so uniquely suited to run the hundred mile races because for them, like, yeah, 24 hours of just you and someone serving you food in the woods. Yes, it's quite nice. So much easier than, you know, <laughs> taking care of three kids under 10. Yes, for sure. <laughs> okay, and you also mentioned an advisor, and I realize we still have to kind of give a lot of backdrop for this, but, um, you know, talk to me about, like, an advisor suggested this, like, making the commitment to travel and do all these events is not a cheap commitment, So Mm -hmm. was there something that like, okay, you've hit this certain thing that like your advisor had in mind where now it makes sense to do the events? Because I think everyone hears that schedule and is like, ooh, let me go look and see what it's going to cost or like what if I can be at all of these events too, because I should do that. Yep. Um, Honestly, that was our first thing that uh, we brought up was like, how are we going to possibly afford this? So we started Bivo, we launched two and a half years ago. Um, we self-funded for the first 18 months of running Bivo, and we really wanted to get to the point of launching and showing that the bottles were a good, um, a viable business and use that as leverage to raise, raise funds. So we raised a very small friends and family round, um, and we are bootstrapping as best we can. We're very, uh, we like to say we're scrappy, but smart, um, and we make decisions that like we we just have to look and make sure that every decision we make is a is a good one and is cost effective for us. Um, so ideally, we would have like a sprinter van or uh, something a bit bigger for the kids. But we wrapped our personal car um, and we have just this sport wagon, Volkswagen sport wagon. Um, and so we're taking that around and, you know, doing the best to, we have very, very limited amount of clothing. Um, but I guess, you know, for us actually, because we're doing this trip on our own and we can be conscious of what we spend on food, um, we, in hotels, you know, we, we're, we're doing it on a very limited budget for sure. So, um, no, it wasn't like, a place that we hit in terms of like, oh, we we hit this amount of revenue per month. Now we can afford to do this. We changed, we shifted around some budgets. So actually one thing we did was we pulled 
budget away from advertising in magazines, for instance, and we are using that budget to just be out on the road because we find that when we talk to people, we make more of an impact and we um, can spread the word a bit better. Yeah. And I think that totally makes sense with the product itself, especially because, uh, you know, at a glance, if I was holding it up right now, it looks like a water bottle. Mm-hmm. Like, so seeing it in a, seeing it in a magazine or even on Instagram or anything like it still looks just like another water bottle, but when you see it in real right. life and you like actually realize, oh, this is metal, this is totally different. Yeah. Uh, it's very different. So it does make sense that it's yeah. a bottle that people almost need to like see and hold and like yeah. interact with. For sure. Yeah. Typically when we do, so we put focus heavily on the flow rate of our bottle. Um, it is metal, so you can't squeeze it. And so we wanted to make sure that drinking from it was easy. And when we were developing the bottle, that was like our number one thing. And so we ended up with a bottle that pours really quickly and easily and is super pleasant to drink out of. And when we do the demo, of the pour at events, it's like, it's, it's an instant, um, conversion to to a sale because people mm-hmm. just think it's so cool and it is it's a very it's a fun it's a fun demo for us to be able to do for sure mm-hmm. now okay I have to ask is the demo like are you just literally like holding it and pouring it okay yeah. so you need to find an engineering student who can make you like a water fountain basically that's we like have one actually yes uh, I agree. It oh is. Oh my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, so our brand director, Mark Beard, he's pretty genius with that stuff. Um, and he has been working on one that's like a floating bottle and it's, it's based off of those like old German faucet things that like are just a floating faucet and pours water. And so we have it, we just are like fine tuning the, the way the water comes out, but it does, he he recently took it to an event in Portland and people thought it was super cool. I love it. I love it. I'm so yeah. excited. Okay. <laughs> uh, before we keep going down the the Bivo uh, thing, let's, let's back up and talk about just your athletic background because it's not like you came into this industry with zero Palmares in the athletic space. So yeah. what's, what's your story? Yeah. I was born into a cross-country ski family, so I have an older sister, Mariah. She was four years older than me, and my parents were really into cross-country skiing, so they wanted to find friends for her to ski with, so they actually started the youth program near our house that they grew to like 350 kids, um, which was pretty amazing. So when I was born, I was kind of just born into the ski world. Um, And then it turns out that I really liked to ski and to race, and um, so I raced I was on the world junior team as a 18 year old. And then I went to UVM University of Vermont and raced there. And then I raced one year professionally after college, where I was trying to figure out if I was going to pursue the sports career or if I wanted to switch to something different. So I, after that one year, I did decide that it was time for me to move on and figure out what the heck was next. I love that your your background is from a family who basically also started another like entrepreneurial industry of like this youth program also yeah. based around like a problem that they had like mm-hmm. and I know this is how the origin story of Bivo comes but yeah. before you got into Bivo you as you mentioned had that uh, design company where you were working with athletic shoes so yeah. what is your whole background in mm-hmm. in work before we talk about like inventing a new thing Yeah. Uh, So in high school and college, I worked in an outdoor store in Northampton, Massachusetts, and I was really into the brands and the product. And I was interested in how product could impact performance. And so I I honestly didn't even know like product development was a thing. Like you kind of designers get a lot of attention and then like, you know, you bring it to market. And so like there's this whole missing piece in the middle that doesn't get talked about quite as much. At least it didn't in my childhood. So I was um, after college, the at the year after I raced um, professionally, I was introduced to the owner of Keen Footwear, and I talked to him about my interest in product. And again, I honestly didn't even know product development was a thing. I, I studied European studies and minor in math in college. So like there was nothing related to product. Um, and Those so I two just like very disparate things to study also. Yes. I know. Totally. (laughs) Like what? Was it just that they fit in your schedule? How do you pick those two? (laughs) Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, I can back up a little more. So in, in high school, I was 
my high school didn't have a lot of skiers in it. It wasn't an area where there was like a ton of snow. Um, and so I didn't have as many of my really close friends that I love to train with that were in my high school. And I was kind of frustrated by that. And so I started looking at ski academies um, in Vermont, but I also that for some reason that didn't like spark a ton of interest at the time. My sister had just gone to Colby College and one of her friends had studied abroad in Norway. And so she suggested that I study abroad. And so I went to my parents. I was 16. Actually, I was 15 when the, when the idea came about. And I went to my parents and I said, would you let me go live in Norway for a year? And they said I, they would. But if I figured it out on my own. And so I like started looking into schools and um, asked one of my good close friends who lived about an hour from me if he would be interested in going. And so together we found programs to apply to. We both got into two different schools. I was in Lillehammer, Norway, and I lived there um, after like getting in, I got my visa and then I found a family to live with. And so at that point, my parents really didn't have a choice. They're like, yeah, we said you could do it. So um, so yeah, at the age of 16, I moved to Norway. Um, I did not speak Norwegian before I moved there. And then by the time I was done, actually pretty much by Christmas, I moved in August and by Christmas, I was pretty fluent. Um, and so anyway, this is a long way to tell you, I was very interested in Europe um, and, and language. I really like learning languages. And so that's where the European, it kind of just like a lot of my interests just like pointed me towards European studies. And then I think the math side, I don't know, my sister's a mathematician. She has her PhD in math and I kind of liked math and I thought it was like kind of a practical thing to have as a, as a backup. Um, so those are, that was where my degree came from. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So you're at Keene, you've got this, this yeah. European studies and math background. Uh, how does that yeah. apply to designing footwear? Yes. So when I, when I was talking with Rory, the owner of Keen, he suggested if I wanted to learn product development, that I just moved to China. And so um, I, he actually offered me a job in China and I moved there for three months. And my first thing was going from, they had seven factories at the time. And I would just honestly go from factory to factory, see the production, talk with them about um, like quality problems and get claims uh, like process claims. Um, and then I just like, it was quite an interesting way to start because I learned the manufacturing side before the brand side. So like I could understand why a, a factory would ask for a brand to make something differently or in certain quantities or with a certain material or something like the pushback, I could see why the factory was asking those things. So it was a really interesting perspective to start in the product world. Mm -hmm. um, and then I moved from China to Portland, Oregon, where they're based. And I worked for the parent company of Keen that was the innovation group. And so I was tasked with coming up with inline um, like new manufacturing techniques and set up new manufacturing relationships with factories really ac across the globe. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's like, let's hit the like fast forward, like doo -doo 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 -doo. Um, the idea for Bivo, like how did yeah. this come so about? After, <laughs> yeah. So after I left Keen, I started my own um, development agency. Right. So I ran that for 10 years and that was mostly focused on footwear. I had a few other projects like sleeping bags that would help smaller brands find factories and anywhere from creative direction through to production. So, okay. So this is like perfect. That, You're basically from exactly. start to finish learning all of these little pieces in this decade. Um, exactly. So, so yeah. when I'm about to ask like the timeline for Biva, we also have to remember that this is like the time at Keen plus 10 years in your agency. Yep. Plus then starting Biva. So yes. Well, and the, and the beauty of the agency was it was for startups and small to medium-sized brands. So oh, perfect. through that decade, I worked with probably, I don't know, 35 different brands and I saw their successes. I saw their failures and I could see like the gaps that they missed during the process. And so I think like mentally I always was taking note of that and like really being able to have great insight into a, a variety of brands. So that was a huge education in and of itself. Um, my husband, Robbie, he joined me about two years after I started the footwear agency. So we also had been working together for eight years prior to starting Vivo. Very um, helpful. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Also, I have to ask at some point, do you have like an idea for a book like 
coalescing <laughs> in the back of your brain with like 10 years of product development? Because I feel yeah, like- I have I've, I have thought about it. Honestly, I think like even just I've talked more about I've had experiences abroad and then with brands just as a woman in business, too. And I think there's so many stories that I could tell that, yes, I think there there could be a good good book to write at some point for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're running the agency, we've been doing this for a decade and then you get this idea. And I I've heard you talk about how this idea came up. I want you to tell it because I, it's like such a good story. Yeah. Um, so my, I actually had our first daughter in 2018. So it was really interesting because I always wanted to have kids and then, but I always wanted to work. And so I, thought I would have her and then come back to work. And it turns out that I actually really enjoyed spending time with her and I didn't want to go back to work. And actually there's a lot of studies that show if you put women back to work too early, they actually are like so much more likely to quit their jobs. And so I was fortunate enough that I had my own business. And so I can kind of just like work my way slowly back into work. Um, but I was having honestly a hard time coming back and I, it sounds kind of odd, but actually after talking to a lot of women who have had children, um, they need this, like there's, there's kind of like a life, there's a huge life transition. And so it's almost like you need a new challenge. And that's how I felt. I felt like if I was going back to work, I wanted something new to work on that was going to be worth it for me to spend time away from her and at work. Um, And so Robbie and I hired a business consultant to kind of just like work through what are we going to do specifically with me uh, and how we're going to how we're going to handle work moving forward. And starting our own brand was always something that we wanted to do. And the creative direction piece of our business was exactly like coming up with new product ideas for brands. So that was something we're really excited about. So we set aside 20% of our time to just focus on other. Like we didn't know exactly what that would be. And that works really well for me because I I don't like structure. I'm not like a, I I like the freedom to just think and and be. And uh, so I didn't know what that would turn out to be. But um, eventually we were, uh, as my daughter was transitioning to daycare, we were having a hard time feeding her out of a bottle and we didn't like, we didn't want to feed her out of plastic, but we had no choice but to try them because she refused like every bottle out there. Um, so we were talking about that while skiing uh, and uh, it like popped into our head that every time we exercise, we drink out of plastic. And so we drove home and quickly started researching metal cycling bottles because we thought that would be a good idea. And it turns out that it was a huge hole in the market. And so within the first two weeks of coming up with the idea, we were already like setting up focus groups and uh, customer surveys and talking to people. Um, And so it was just like a really quick, like, okay, this is an idea we have to run with and let's do it quickly. Ooh, I like that a lot. Now, when did you... Like, when did you make the leap from having the consulting business and like 20% of your time is the ideation phase to, okay, we're going all in on this? Because I think this is like the terrifying yet pivotal like decision here. Yeah, for sure. We had seven employees at the time um, for our development agency. And we actually had hired a an intern from the University of Oregon. They have a a a sustainability um, and MBA program. And so we hired him for his senior uh, last semester. And we hired him specifically because we had had ideas for shoes in the past, but every time we like went down the path to start something on our own, paid clients would take precedent. So like, it's really hard to let go of those like paid clients and focus on something for yourself. And so this one, we were like, this is, if we're serious about starting our own brand, we have to have somebody that is dedicated to it full-time. So right from the beginning, we actually had somebody who was focused on Vivo from like right from the beginning. So, um, and then as he finished his senior year, we hired him on full-time. So we were still planning on running our footwear agency for a big portion of, well, actually we did run it through the launch of Bivo um, and a second kid. So it was a lot. Um, we, we like, had, which is harder, the launch or the second kid? <laughs> the second kid, definitely the second kid. <laughs> um, 
and I, you know, it got to the point it was COVID, um, supply chain was a mess and we decided it, we like literally just couldn't do it all. So we shut down our footwear business about, um, six months after launching Bibbo. And then we went full-time all, all three of us. And now we have, um, two more employees in Richmond, Vermont, as well as to uh, one person full-time in Portland, Oregon still, and a part-time person in Portland, Oregon. Nice. Do you remember the day that you officially, like, were just Vivo? Like, how did that feel? Yeah, it felt really good. Um, I actually more vividly remember the day I decided to shut down the footwear business because it was really a hard decision. It was a decade of my life and it was my first business. And that was a, that was a, it was hard to say goodbye to that. So I was actually, it was Christmas. Um, Omicron had just hit and we were having trouble with childcare. And I was out walking my son, just, he was in the front pouch on a hike. And um, I actually like took out my phone and emailed my husband and was like, it's time. Like we've just, I wrote him a long email, which was kind of funny, but um, it was just, yeah, it was, it was the time. And it felt really good to make that hard decision. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was going to ask this later, but we're going to bring it up now because I love the fact that you emailed your husband from a hike. That's just like hilarious. Um, Working with him through both of these companies, what what are like the best parts? What are the worst parts? Because, uh, you know, I I do some of my stuff with with my husband and Mm -hmm. it's mostly good, um, but it definitely has its its hard parts. Like when it's, you know, 930 and I'm trying to go to sleep and he's like, oh, like, how about this thing for like, have we talked about taxes lately? And I'm like, oh, dear Lord. (laughs) Don't bring taxes up at 930. No, no. Taxes should never be mentioned in bed. That should just be like a blanket (laughs) rule. Like, come on. Yes, totally. Totally. Uh, Yeah. So when I first had, so I ran, I think I ran my footwear agency for about two years before he joined. And I had actually just met him as I was starting the business. Um, And so I, we both just love, we love product. We love talking about product. We love business. uh, We love sports. And so I think like it, every time we were talking like our conversation in the beginning, like our conversations always would come back to like, oh, what about this idea? Or like, what about this idea? And we just love talking about that stuff. And so I think it was pretty inevitable to work together. Um, but we also fought it in the beginning. Like we really tried hard not to work together because we've heard so many nightmare stories. And I think we were we were afraid of it, to be honest. Um, but then I was too busy at work and I needed some help. And I asked him to go, go to China and he was into the idea. And so uh, we just decided to try it. And we were like, you know what, if this works, that's great. If it doesn't work, like let's put our relationship first and make sure that like we can we can say this isn't working. And we actually had quite a few friends who were working with their significant other. Um, and we were given one piece of advice that I really appreciate um still to this day and it's like if you're if you're done with work if you don't want to talk about work if you don't want to talk about taxes in bed then just say it and like don't worry about it like even if the other person is really excited say this is not a good time for me and we are pretty good about following that rule and I think that really helps um and so we yeah, it very, I mean, right now, like with Vivo, we're so excited and it's like, it's a really fun business to run. And so honestly, it is dominating our lives, but that's okay. And like, we're, we're, we're happy with that. Um, I think the, the most, I mean, it's fun to share the excitement with him. Like I really mm-hmm. love, I love that piece of it. Um, I also, as we've, as we've worked together over the last 12 years, um, we've learned a lot about each other. And in the beginning, when we were, you know, first starting dating, I was like, wow, we're so similar. And now I'm like, damn, we are very different. Um, And we love similar things, but we operate completely differently. And it just so happens that our, our personalities really balance each other out. Um, He's quite organized and detailed and like operations focused. He's also very creative. So I I like to say that with a caveat. Um, And then I'm like kind of the opposite and I like to push and I like to go and um, I like to dream. And so I think like he appreciates my willingness to push. And then I appreciate his like ability to make sure it's executed properly. Um, So I think that's a really fun thing that just happened to work out well between the two of us. 
I love that. I love that. Okay. So through your, your consulting business, do you have maybe like a couple of take like things that you learned in that 10 years that like when you started Bivo, you were like, okay, so here's what I know to be true. And that like, I need to make sure that I'm like thinking about as I start. Yes. Yeah. I think the biggest one was we have to do all the pieces of the business. Right. And I know that seems kind of simple, But I saw a lot of people put a ton of money behind marketing or a ton of money behind the product they were creating, but then they forgot PR or they forgot the sales team. And so we always said, like, we would watch this happen and we're like, okay, if we ever do our own thing, like, we're not going to forget a piece of the business. Like, we have to make sure we don't drop something simply because we don't understand it or know it. Like, if we don't know something, we'll hire somebody. Um, And so a good example is PR, like that was a, that was a piece of the business we had absolutely no idea about. And so we hired Press Forward out of Middlebury, Vermont, and they were such good advisors through the the launch and they helped us so much, you know? So I think like that was something that definitely we carried through from the development agency. Very smart. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I mean, the product side of things, like there are so many people that want to start a product-based business or have an idea for mm-hmm. a super cool product. I mean, the number of times that I've been like, oh, but bike packing shorts, but with removable chamois where you can swap like five chamois. So all you have to carry yeah. is your extra shit, et cetera. Right? Someone's yeah. got to make this. Um, <laughs> but obviously like, it's not as simple as like me just like phoning like a fat, like, you know, 1-800-FACTORY and, uh, you know, being like, hey, I need this, uh, I need these chamois made. Um, So what do people maybe not understand about like start like creating a product from scratch, not just like making a t-shirt that's like screen printed with something or like printing a book by a a print on demand kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I would say the first thing is making a product is really hard. Like it's, it seems like it should just be kind of simple. Like you think it's a water bottle, like it's molded, you know? Um, but like, it turns out getting water out is really hard and keeping water in is also really hard. Um, and so I think that that's, that's one, like one piece is just that it's harder than it seems it, it, it should be. And it also takes a lot of time. Um, So we started developing the bottle in April, 2019, and we launched, we were officially launched um, shipping bottles in December, 2020. Um, And that was actually pretty fast. Like we had talked to a lot of other uh, water bottle people in the industry and they were like, there's no way you can do it in less than 24 months. Um, And so I think like our background in product and our willingness to like, shift around some calendars and push um, and being just like small and, 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 and adaptable. Um, we were able to do it a bit quicker, but uh, yeah, it takes a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of like glossed over this when we were talking about like creating a, a metal bottle with the the rubber uh, drinking nozzle thing. Um, yep. But let's talk about like why this matters. I mean, you know, t- give me, give me the quick TLDR on the environmental impact of plastic bottles and cycling. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's I, What we found was that plastic bottles are often looked at as disposable. So um, even though they're meant to be reusable, people do look at them as just like this super cheap thing that you can, oh, you forget it on your bike for a week with, with sports drinking, you just throw it away. Um, especially like on the pro tour, you know, you find that, I know you've done some of these articles, Molly, but like uh, one team went through 35,000 bottles in one year. Um, that's a lot of plastic bottles. And so we, in the very beginning, when we started doing our focus groups, cleanability was something that came up time and time again. And so that was something we really wanted to make sure that these bottles were easy to clean. Um, so the, beyond the fact that they're dishwasher safe, like you should really never put plastic in the dishwasher. The, t- the heat makes um, the chemicals leach. Um, and so we also made the nozzle removable and the straw removable. So it's just in like not very many nooks and crannies. Um, so really we're trying to reduce the amount of, pl- of plastic bottles people go through every year or all plastic bottles and only go through a couple per year on in metal. Um, our bottles for the, if you want to look at like how much it takes to make a metal bottle compared to plastic, we use about two and a half the amount of energy compared to plastic to manufacture a bottle. So if you're going through less than two and a half plastic bottles per 
year, you should stick with plastic. But if you go through more than that, make the switch over to metal. Or if you want a nicer looking one that- Or um, if you want a nicer looking one. Doesn't get gross after time. Experience. But if you're just looking at environmental impact, that's that's what I'm referring to. And then, yeah, I mean, the clean taste, like from honestly, like for our, the beginning, like the very- idea of this came about because we didn't want to drink chemicals from plastic. And so we don't know that much about it, to be honest. Like there are just not enough research out there in this world about the impact of plastic on humans. And all I know is that like, well, I know more than this, but like, if you taste plastic, it can't be good for you. And so I think like, there's definitely stuff that goes in there. We eat, we eat like a credit card worth of plastic per, per week. It's kind of crazy. Um, but yeah, there's too much plastic in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, like the taste for sure, like having used these bottles, like definitely much cleaner, much more water-like than water coming yes. out of your plastic water bottle. Yes. Like that's for sure. Um, and okay. So the interesting thing with any product that's made sustainably like this, that's like built to last mm-hmm. is, I mean, how do you iterate on it or how do you, mm-hmm. how do you, you know, keep growing the, cons- growing the consumer base, I guess, but how do you keep people coming back for more? How does that even like work? Because it is a product yeah. that's meant to last much longer than these plastic bottles that theoretically you're just buying because this one looks cool. This one looks cool. This one looks cool. And now you have right giant collection. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So we have gone pretty heavy into the cycling space. Like we are actually very heavy. We're focused on the cycling world like that. We have been told by so many people that there's like opportunity outside of cycling. And we know that there, but again, we're like going back to being scrappy. We only have so many marketing dollars. We have only so much focus we can, we can have. And so we have focused on the cycling space. Um, it was interesting going uh, to, my husband just went to Ragbri, which is a ride across Iowa. And they had 30,000 people at that event. Um, there's so many cyclists in this country alone that have never heard of Bivo. Um, so I think we can go really deep. Um, and that's, that is what one of the areas of focus for us for sure is just like, let's find more cyclists. Um, the other thing is that people are like kind of to combat that a little bit, but people are using their bottle. They're finding that they love them on the bike and they also love to have them in the car or at their office. And so I think people are buying additional bottles to have in different places. Um, uh, we also have like insulated and non-insulated. So there's different use cases for different mm-hmm. types of bottles for sure. Mm-hmm. Also when they come out in new colors and stuff, I mean, obviously <laughs> yeah. very important. And artist series, like, yeah, we're, we're trying to bring, raise attention to um, like underrepresented cyclists uh, through art. And so we, we've hired some artists to do some really cool art bottles um, and just raise awareness to like female athletes, for example, we did one with Magley Rochette and we also did one with Sonia Looney. Um, and that's kind of a great way for, for us to, to spread the word about Bivo, but also to just like, Hey, there's this like amazing female cyclist that, uh, should get some attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I do think the, that kind of very like natural collaboration just makes so much sense and it's, mm-hmm. it's just fun. Uh, yeah. No, I love that. Um, and I would point out, you also have like been coming out with some other little things like the, the new piece that, uh, clips on to like cover the, the top. So the there is yep. still, yeah, there is still kind of all of these like additional things that can, yeah, you can kind of like iterate on with that. So I do. Think yeah. Awesome. Yep. And we, you know, we get a lot of feedback from customers. We get some really great customer service emails and that dust cap one, we had, he- I had heard it like a few times. Um, and then it kept coming in on customer service and we were able to create that pretty quickly to create a solution for people who don't want to eat mud. <laughs> Completely fair. Yeah. And I mean, I love it because it lets me like kind of, it's not quite a perfect cap, but it definitely gives me a much more like relaxed feeling when I've tossed it in my bag. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Less risk of, uh, yeah, getting water all over the place, which I tend to do with any bottle really. (laughs) So with the, I, I did really like the idea of collaborations here. So what made you come or what, like, how did the first one come about? Like, what did that look like? Uh, yeah, well, it was, 
The first one, uh, actually our first collaboration bottle was with Velocio Apparel. So they've been great partners of ours from the very beginning. They've been super supportive. That was a great, um, that was more just like a brand collaboration, but um, they announced that they would never sell a plastic bottle again. Um, so that was a really fun uh, way to, to kind of kick off with a, with a brand partner. And then from an artist series perspective, I, I do see like, you know, in the outdoor space, I was very much, I was very frequently the only woman in the room, especially if there was like executive meetings or something. Um, but it was like not as bad as the cycling industry, to be honest. Um, the cycling industry is so dominated by men. And I really wanted to, uh, like we try in our social media and on our blogs, everything, every, like we really try to highlight women um, because more women need to see women on bikes. And, uh, and so we wanted to do the same thing with the artist series. Um, so we just really want to use underrepresented cyclists to, um, help spread the word and, and, and talk about what they're doing. I love that. Um, now in the cycling world, have you, have you kind of had to figure out how to walk into these rooms where you are like one of the only women or the only woman? Like what's, what's the secret? Is there like a confidence thing that you've figured out or? How do, you, no, how do you handle I, it? Honestly, I mean, it was something that I was, I, I faced like throughout my entire professional career, but I actually think my confidence with it stemmed from ski racing. So I, you know, the, my best friend was Jake Whitcomb. He was he, like, and I skied with him. I don't know how many days a week, four or five days a week. And we had these like games that we would play. Like, you know, if you fell, you get a point and the most amount of points at the end of the year lost. And so like, it was constantly, I was just Jake's friend, you know, and like he was a boy and I was a girl and I was very confident and capable on skis. And so was he. And so I think like those moments as an athlete really do help you later in life. Um, and so I've, it's never been something I've been intimidated by, to be honest, I just see it as a problem and I see it I think as I get like older, it's becoming more and more obvious to me. Maybe it's something I just like didn't pay as much attention to. Um, and so it's just something that's frustrating. Like you mm -hmm. want to see women, you know? And so uh, while it doesn't intimidate me as much, it's more just like, let's figure out how to get more women. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is like kind of coming back to my big thing about like getting more girls into sport, you know, obviously mm -hmm. cycling in particular is a big one for me, but really any sport, because I think to your point, like that's where we're like, that's where you learn leadership skills and confidence and all of that stuff from a young age. Like, yeah, I was, you know, in every other thing that you could possibly be in when I was younger, but sports were not my wheelhouse. And I would say like, I, I look back and I see how detrimental that was for me because like, Honestly, being a news like being the newspaper editor does not teach you the same skills as being like on the track team. For some reason, yeah. it's not quite the same. It's great, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but I would say there's a distinct difference. Yeah, yeah, it definitely helps build confidence for sure. Yeah. So on that note, uh, you know, shifting from like running your own business to like starting to hire people, and obviously you were doing this long before Bivo. Like, what? what was some of the stuff you had to learn and like, what was the hardest to get a handle on shifting from kind of, you know, do solo work to leading a team? Cause that's mm -hmm. where I really, really struggle. And I know a lot of other women do. Yeah, it's hard. I honestly, I still have a hard time with it. I mean, I don't think it's something that is, yeah, it's not easy. Um, I think the first thing when I hired my first employee, uh, for nine, my footwear development agency, I think what surprised me the most was actually like, now I'm accountable to somebody like, yeah. and, and that's like a weird feeling because you hire them, but like they, you know, you have to be in the office more or like, you know, they, you need to teach them why you're, you're not in the office as much and you're traveling and like why that's important for the business. Um, so I think, uh, I've made some mistake, a lot of mistakes along the way in hiring. Um, and I think like I, we actually worked with a leadership coach who helped us figure out, um, me and my Robbie, actually like our personalities. I talked about that previously, like really analyzing somebody's personality and what their strengths are. Um, and if, you know, if you're very clear 
in the beginning when you have a job description, like this is the job. If if you have to understand this is highly operational. If the, if you're not like they may want to work for you, they may want a job, but they may be like a creative person that's not as much focused on operations. And so if you're very upfront with them about that, I think that's like step number one. So I think very open transparency in terms of like what is this job? Make sure this is something you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is what's, what's beautiful about Bivo is that like it's a startup. There's so much to do. Like there's there's a list that's so long that like you can't actually ever get to it. And so if you hire good people who are passionate about their work and they want to do a good job, um, and if you can kind of like move their job around a little bit to fit what their strengths are. I think that's actually like that obviously can't happen as you get bigger and you have like more distinct roles, but for us, that works pretty well. And obviously there's, there's roles that have to, there's jobs that have to get done. Like our bottles have to be packed and shipped. Like that's not a, that's not an option or, um, but there's, there's certain areas that we can really like focus on. Um, and there's others that you can, you can say, you know what, like, yeah, it would be great if we could get to that, but we can't get to it. So let's just focus where we're where we're strong, and and I think we'll be more efficient that way. So that's a that's an approach that's been very helpful for sure. I really like that, and I think kind of part of what you're saying is, especially when you first hire someone, I think maybe some of us have the misconception that hiring someone means you're going to get to do less because you oh, hired yeah. someone. But I think it's not necessarily that you're doing less. It's that you're doing something different is probably right. the the way to think about it. So anytime yeah. I'm like, you know, feeling frustrated about having to like respond to someone's email, like yes. with an answer to a question and like, or like write yeah. out the, like what I need this week kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's not that I got to do less work because I've right. hired someone for a few hours a week. It's that I, the work I'm doing is now different because I've hired someone <laughs> Yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, it takes time too. I think that's the other thing that it's like, you think you're going to hire somebody and then it's going to be just like, oh yeah, my plate's clean. Um, It's actually takes a long time for them to understand what you need and to understand the business. And and so I think that patience too. And that's why it's so important to hire good, good people. Obviously it's like an easier thing said than done, but like if they stay with you, the efficiency is, is huge. Mm-hmm. And even for, for you to figure out what you need, I think, like, I'm mm-hmm. sure you probably yeah. had this at the beginning where the job description that you posted, maybe it turns out like there were parts of that, that actually weren't really the thing, yes. but there was this other thing that turns out it needed to be done. So like figuring yeah. out exactly what it is. For sure. I mean, even now, like in a startup, I think your job, your job changes like every six months, you're kind of like, wow, that was like a big push of something. And now I have to do something very different. And so I think like, that's the other thing about hiring is it's like some people are really good for startups and some people are really good for bigger corporations and trying to recognize what that can, what their strengths would be in, in, in a startup is important too. Cause it's like, it's definitely not for everybody. Yeah. It's much yeah. more chaotic. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Looking back, what advice would you go back and give yourself on day one, the day that you've shut down the consulting arm, you've gone all in on Bivo, knowing everything you know now, what would you tell yourself? Hmm. Uh, I, I keep saying this to people, it's expensive. Like, I think that that's, that's something that, you know, consulting is, uh, it was relatively as I grew the the business, it was getting harder and harder because there were like bigger purchase orders and bigger risks. But in the beginning of starting nine, it was like, I actually remember talking to my husband, like, wow, this is like, everybody says running a business is so hard, but honestly, this is actually kind of easy. And so, and, and I think I just like struck like a really big hole that was like easy for me to fill for brands. And so it just, but like my, I had to buy my computer. Like that was all I had to do to start the the business, you know, and starting Bibo, it's very expensive. And so I think that that is something that I didn't, I I was very confident going in that I could run a business and I was very confident in the idea of Bibo. And I had like numbers on a paper, but it like, I think in my head, it just like didn't register as much about how expensive running a brand will be. Um, and so I think that would be like, I don't know what I would do differently. I'm very happy with like 
the fact that we haven't gone after VC funding, for example, I'm right. happy to be scrappy, but I think maybe just like being a little bit more mentally prepared for that financial stress would have been like a nice thing to have. Yeah. That's actually a really good point because I think there's so many people who, as soon as they hit that, that first, like that first big oil purchase order that they have to pay, or like, you know, the first big bill comes in, they panic and just like backtrack instead of pushing forward so i think that's actually like fantastic advice like not to say just you know go forth and spend money but be aware that things cost money and uh, yeah Yeah. it's it's going to be expensive to start i think that's such a good good piece of advice okay to wrap up here let everyone know where they can find you where they can find bivo maybe your like favorite bottle at the moment if someone was to to check it out yeah um, I, so you can find our products on drinkbivo.com as well as a lot of different retailers across the States and Canada. Um, and then you can follow us at drinkbivo on Instagram and at Karina underscore Hamill on Instagram. Um, my favorite bottle I have right next to me right now, we just launched a trio mini, which is a smaller insulated bottle and it's nice. It's just like a nice hand feel. So I use it a lot at my desk and then for shorter rides, it's very nice to have cold water on bikes. <laughs> when we launched we didn't we didn't we did our single wall which I still use actually for most of my riding because you can have larger capacity um but uh it turns out that having ice cold water is really nice during this heat yes absolutely honestly even just like ice cold water like during the day I hadn't really ever like realized this till I put a couple bottles in the fridge and then I've been drinking them and I'm like oh my god this is so much better I like water now (laughs) who who knew I know it is really nice yeah (laughs) so there you go life hack if you hate water just make it colder (laughs) (laughs) awesome well Karina thank you so much for coming on and chatting about all this stuff it's always so cool to talk to someone who's doing something like as I'm going to say important as this in the cycling world, because I do think the environmental potential for this, the sustainability, even just the conversations that it starts are just so, so important. So I'm, I'm psyched that you're doing this and also that there's a woman doing this. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Hopefully you got as much from that conversation as I did. And you can head over to drinkbivo, that's B-I-V-O.com to check out all of the water bottles. Highly recommend it. I think her stuff is just super cool. Uh, and what I really loved, again, about this episode is the, the considerations for starting a product business, but also the marketing, which again, I find fascinating. And I think this is a really good reminder, the strategy that they're employing this summer of going out in person, in real life, actually talking to people at races. I think this is so important, no matter what kind of business you're in. It's very tempting to stick to just Instagram paid ads and call that your marketing strategy. But I think there has to be a hybrid of in real life and these, uh, you know, online marketing type things. And I think it's something I'm thinking about with Strong Girl Publishing, my small company that I just started. Uh, you know, it's it's always tempting to stick to online, especially in something like that, where a lot of the product is going to be print on demand. So uh, for me to actually have all of the stuff I need to go attend an event is actually going to be like a pretty costly thing. And I think there are pros and cons and you'd have to weigh the, the cost benefits. But a lot of the time, it's not necessarily how much you're selling at the event so much as getting that visibility and really creating that buzz. And I think that's what Bippo has done really, really well so far. And I'm so excited to see where they go in the future. All right. Uh, As always, if you enjoyed this episode, hit us up with a rating, review. Please subscribe. You can find us over on Instagram at business.of.fitness. And I am at Molly J. Herford. And I would love to hear from you. If you have a recommendation for who you want to hear next or you just have a topic that you want to hear more about, definitely hit me up and let me know. All right. Thanks so much. And I'll see you in two weeks.